This is episode number 126 of the Rising Man podcast with Maceo Paisley. Ignorance is no longer an excuse for inaction. Blessings and good rising to you, family. Jetty Azuma here, checking in with all y'all beautiful souls out there. I am the founder of the Rising Man podcast and the creator of this movement that we got going on here. And, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, everything that some of us are beginning to see with new eyes for the first time, my prevailing emotion is inspiration. I know that there's a lot of grief and a lot of sadness and a lot of emotions swirling around in the world today, but I'm starting to warm up to this idea of destruction and not in a sense of chaos and sadness and famine, all the other ideas that go along with destruction, but destruction in a sense of demolition, breaking down the infrastructure and rebuilding something that we actually want to hand off to our kids. So. I'm inspired by that, which is a big reason why I brought back a special guest for a repeat performance today. But before I, I introduce who our guest is for today, I want to remind all of you guys out there, every single one of you, because I've been getting a lot of messages in the past couple of weeks, especially from guys all over this country, all over the world, who are feeling confused, who are starting to have questions about who you are and how you want to be in this world. And what I want to encourage you to do is to take another step towards that fire. Take another step into the circle to be a bigger part of this Rising Man movement, of this Rising Man collective, because our mission is to initiate an entire generation of men into power and purposeful leadership. And in order to do that, we need you to step forward into the fire. So right now, pause the episode before you continue. Go over to risingman.org. Check out our Rising Man fire circles. Get yourself involved. Get Become part of your own team of men. Or if you're ready to take it to another level, be a part of our Inferno Circles that's getting started in just the next three weeks. Whatever level of challenge and leaning in you want for yourself, it's waiting for you. Just go to risingman.org and go check it out. All right, my guest for today is a repeat man, a repeat brother here on the show. Maceo Paisley is a multidisciplinary artist, designer, and cultural producer who explores themes in society and identity through movement, language, and imagery. After serving in the U.S. Army and climbing the ladders of corporate America, Maceo Paisley Keeling III made his way into the world of arts, entertainment, and entrepreneurship. For the past decade, he's danced professionally, performed on national stages as a spoken word and performance artist. As executive director of the nonprofit platform Citizens of Culture, he uses art to help communities and organizations develop critical thinking, emotional intelligence, and resource inequality. Maceo is also a Bronze Star awardee for his service in Iraq. In 2015, he was a participant of the Millennial Trains Project and was an NBC Universal Challenge Grant recipient. In 2016, he was a member of the Los Angeles Department of Cultural Affairs exhibition Skin, Open News Toys Gallery, Nutois Gallery, maybe? I'm not sure how to pronounce that, and Retail Space in Chinatown, Los Angeles, and continues to work as a dancer choreographer for the likes of indie rock sensation Beirut, Justin Timberlake, and performance art exhibits with groups like Marciano Art Foundation and Land, La Los Angeles Nomadic Division. If you guys haven't heard the first episode we had with Maceo, you got to go way back into the Rolodex. I believe he was in here sometime in the late 30s of the Rising Man podcast, so about a year and a half ago. 
and we talked about violence and our relationship with violence as humans and especially as men. So I brought Maceo back because I wanted his perspective, especially as a black American male on what is going on in our society right now and his unique perspective on culture and big picture perspective on the culture that we're living in. So in this episode, we discuss the current state of the dialogue on racism and systemic oppression, why this is not a new topic and why it's getting so much attention right now. We talked about how many of us have been living behind a veil for most of our lives, choosing not to see the impact of systemic oppression. Maceo shares tremendous wisdom and insight when it comes to how culture is created and the opportunities we have right now to rewrite four centuries of history into a new future. I shared my own experience of confusion, shame, and empowerment from the past few weeks of witnessing the protests all across the world. And last but not least, we discussed how we can begin to create the world we wish to hand off to our children someday. So, brace yourself, we got a power-packed episode. Without further ado, Maceo Paisley. All right, Rising Man fam, I got a, a returning guest coming back to the show. He hasn't been on in a little while, my bro, Maceo Paisley, man. How are you doing right now? I'm all right. I'm just getting grounded in my body, got a nice cold glass of water. I'm just trying to find clarity all the time. I'm always moving towards clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, likewise, likewise. And we were talking a little bit before we started hitting record that, you know, given the climate of what's going on in the world right now, this is a powerful conversation to have. And, and I reached out to you specifically because for those of you guys who didn't hear the episode that Maceo was on here, I think it was about a year ago, we were talking about violence and, and violence as a natural part of the world. In fact, ever, ever since that episode, you, you, put, you put me onto that, that Instagram, Nature is Metal. Mm-hmm. And I've been following that one ever since, man. And, and I love the contrast of that and matched up against everything else that's being put out on Instagram and just those real raw images of nature. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. It is. So, it is. You cannot deny that truth is all encompassing. So the more we try to hide from the full story, the more there's a piece that's going to come back to bite us in the ass. Yeah. So let's do that, man. This is about truth. You know, uh, we're here we are. We're going into our third week of protests all across America, all across the world. Yeah. In fact, people collectively finally taking a stand against police brutality and, and overall, it's, ob- it's obviously a bigger conversation, right? Systemic racism and oppression. So... When I reached out to you, you said, I'm not holding anything back right now. What you got, man? Well, no, I mean, I, the reason I say this is because the first thing is we have to acknowledge that there's a bunch of people interested in this topic right now, as if the country wasn't built on this topic, systemic racism right. and police brutality. That's what, that's what keeps our society together in so many ways. Maybe not in all ways, but in so many ways, you know, if you look at where policing comes from and who policing impacts disproportionately, statistically, but also anecdotally. Mm. You know, I challenge anyone to ask five black friends that that they have what their relationships to police is, even if they are police, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and you'll start to hear a pattern emerge that just can't be denied from people's lived experience. So whenever I, somebody says, you know, hey, I want to talk to you about what's going on in the world today. My, my first two things are one, where, where were you a year ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, right? When black people were getting lynched and it was shown in the newspaper, when they were getting hosed down by cops and it was shown on TV, when Trayvon Martin was killed, when Mike Brown was killed, where were you? 
what were you doing? Because now what's happened is the movement has become tied to a greater sense of unease with society at large. We can't forget that we're in third week, we're moving into the third week of protest on the heels of nine weeks of people not being able to go to work, not being able to go to concerts, not being able to watch football games, basketball games, baseball games, ignore the killing of a black man, right? There's no mm-hmm. sports center talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. I hadn't, I hadn't looked at it through that lens that there hasn't been a lot else to, the veil was removed, right? Because so, so many of those layers that normally keep us distracted or the noise that tunes out what's really happening, that, that's a really good point. And so, so you're saying that, do you think that's why this is more front and center right now and why this feels a little bit different than a few years back? That's definitely part of it. I think that like a cluster of, I mean, just think of it this way from the standpoint of patience, people's patience for the government and its bullshit, right? We did COVID. It was, it was mishandled, period. You know, we didn't get the mask. We were told to wear a mask. We were told not to wear a mask. We didn't get the tests. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. shut down the entire economy, laid a bunch of people off sending out unemployment checks at different times. Some people never got the stimulus to this day. So people are like frustrated and they're stuck at home. They're told to stay at home. And pretty much when you're at home, you can like bake all the bread you want. You could be in the gym all you want, but you're eventually going to pop open TV and you're going to pop open social media and you're going to see three stories. You're going to see something about COVID, something about the president and the presidential election, or you're going to see like, hey, there's protests going on in my state. So that's the other Mm -hmm. piece is that it's happening in all 50 states, Mm -hmm. including Guam, like, and elsewhere in the world. So the problem has become huge to ignore. It's something that you can't ignore. And so I'm not going to pretend like it's just because people all of a sudden care. If people had to, I don't know for sure if people would still be marching in the same numbers if they had to go to work on Monday or if they had a concert to be at or if they had tickets to see their the Kings play or the Lakers play, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or if they could yeah, go yeah. to a restaurant or a movie. So a lot of what we're seeing is a channeling and a corralling of people's frustration around a particular cause right now that is symbolic in America that has been in the heart of black people, the black community at least for a long time. And so mm-hmm. I feel really fortunate that we're able to bring attention and awareness to that experience. But I also can't pretend like everybody just all of a sudden had a a change of heart and now they care all of a sudden when this has been going on for so long. Sure, sure. Well, I think that definitely helps, at least for me, uh, to illuminate what actually is is, is going on and why so many people have had an opportunity to be more involved. Because when people got to show up for work, that takes priority. And I think that's a bigger reflection of this larger social conversation that all of us, regardless of race, color, creed, you know, gender, we all have been susceptible to that distraction, that distractibility of a system that's at play, that keeps us going to our jobs, that keeps us believing certain things, consuming certain items. And I think the combination of, of COVID and the protests against police brutality and racism, those are just a couple of the issues, right? And, and it seems like more of them are being ma- drawn to the center of this conversation about government and governing bodies. Yeah, yeah, we can't forget that four weeks ago, the president called this virus the China virus, the COVID virus, mm-hmm. China virus, right? And Asian people were being attacked around the United States for that, you know? Yeah. And discriminated against, right? And what you said is so important because I, I study culture and I'm an artist and I'm a curator 
you know, for a living and a cultural consultant. I work with organizations on diversity and inclusion and company culture and creativity and team dynamics, right? So I study culture, but also what you brought up was so important to remember because racism is just one symptom of our society. Mm. Police brutality is one symptom of our society. So now we're more sensitive to all the ills of our society because we've had time to realize, oh, they don't care about us. <laughs> yeah. They care more about they they care more about their profit than the people. They say, hey, if you work at a pig plant, if you work at a pork plant, go to work. We're gonna we're willing to risk you catching COVID. What we're not willing to risk is losing profits. Right. You know. So this is a bubbling up of frustrations that's tied to a particular issue. But I think you will see it morph. You'll see it morph from just George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey to America has other things that it has to look in the mirror about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the larger conversation that we're all, I, at least I know myself, I'm, I'm sitting back and waiting to have that conversation. I know that there's a natural function of, there's, there's an opening. There's been a portal that's open that's allowed people to finally express the grief and the hardship and the pain that they've endured and actually be heard and listened to by a greater part of our population around race right now. And... I think that more of us are starting to see that th this is a bigger opportunity than we think, because this is also about economics. This is about where you live. This is about school systems. This is, this is, there's so many layers to this conversation, but it's the very nature of separating these battles that divides us. Because right. when, when, when it's just a conversation about black people being oppressed or a conversation about Trump calling it the China virus, the details divide us in our different battles versus realizing that we have a common enemy here. You know, there's like there's a common there's a common thing that we're up against. Yeah, you you can put that conversation down. You can say, okay, they got the legislation, we're good on that. Right. But when you when they stop protesting or if they stop protesting and you still don't have a job to go to, or if your income is severely impaired, or you still gotta wear a mask at the grocery store, you're looking at your decision makers and you're saying, is this what what I sign is this the highest quality leadership that money can buy, that my tax mm -hmm. dollars are going towards. And the other thing is, even before this, we have to ask our, ourselves a question about worth as men, mm -hmm. right? And why it's tied to work and why it's tied to how much money we bring home, right? Like this archetype of the provider, okay? So it's like provider, defender, straight up, that's patriarchy. Because if we look at the American economy, what we then see is defense budget, and economy mm. as priority, right? So if, so, so the, the same archetype of what makes manhood the thing to live up to is the same thing that's expressed as patri patriarchy at the high level. So what I want to do is say, okay, well, what else makes me worthwhile as a human being? How I treat people, how I treat the women in my life, how I treat the children in my life, people that I have nothing to gain from. On the flip side of the word protection and providership is another word called yeah. care. And we don't, we don't use that word that much as men. Yeah. Male, man, maybe our identity should be, a, should be wrapped around providing care. Yeah. Well, that's an, interesting, that's an interesting concept that you bring up because even the parallel to the priorities of our government, I, that's, that's really illuminating for me. And I think about well, what matters to me. What do I really care? If, if, I'm, if I'm just one organism. What do I, what really matters to me? And I'm always talking about family. I'm always talking about the future generations. I'm thinking about, so I'm thinking about the planet. I'm thinking about education. I'm thinking about the things that we put in our bodies, not just in our bodies, but 
in our children's bodies, the things that they eat, the things that they, the water that they drink, the vaccines that we do or do not put into their bloodstreams, all of that. And I think it's like you said, it's a, it's a good reflection of where the value is when you, when you look at the government, it's a, it's a reflection of what we've been, what we've decided matters as a society, you know, And, and some, and some, to some degree, we've all supported that we've all fed into it and lifted it up. And now I think the, the biggest question, it's obvious everybody's fed up with it. I think we have been, now we're just realizing that we're all on the same team about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the key, right? Is that when our economy gets wiped out by a public health crisis, and we just so happen to be a country that doesn't have really strong public health infrastructure. When you look at Tokyo, they were able to address the coronavirus much more easily for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is they have much stronger public mm-hmm. health infrastructure, right? So we do not have a infrastructure of care in the United States. We have an infrastructure mm-hmm. of defense and an infrastructure of mm-hmm. production. So what does it actually look like to change our focus from how much can we make and how much can we acquire through and maintain through war and stuff to how can we cultivate what we got and make our citizenry the brightest, most creative, most resilient, most educated, most kind, most resourced Hmm. population to the extent that our sphere, the people of the United States represent a model of leadership Hmm. in the world. Yeah. Well, I I think, man, it's it's crazy. The parallels. I'm shrugging my shoulders because like, why is that not our priority? Yeah. Agreed, man. Why, why isn't that the priority? I see the parallel in well, a lot of what I see in men's work is that most of the traditional machismo that surrounds masculinity and manhood is around not being vulnerable, not being willing to show what's going on behind the veil, beneath, beneath the covers of it all. And it seems like that's what our country has been, been doing for a long time, is trying to show just how good and, and how mighty and powerful we are but when push comes to shove and coronavirus comes along and it, and it not, hits us, you know, knockout punch right in the chin, we weren't ready for it. It's, it exposes us. And then there's this huge cover-up operation to try and make it seem like we're still the greatest country in the world when we have completely mismanaged a, a public health crisis. And, and then all these other layers are starting to be revealed. It's like, that's, that's what needs to happen is we need to take ownership of that. We need to see that and say, okay. That's us. Now, what do we want to do about it? Right. And so to me, when I think of it is, I think that these are all different narratives and layers of supremacy, domination, and, and control, right? It's basically saying that human beings have dominion over all animals and plants on earth. We're at the top. We're the top number one best species. We set the rules. We have detached Mm -hmm. ourselves from nature. And then beneath that, if you look at the models of the economy that we have around the world, they're modeled after Anglican capitalistic mm-hmm. models that, are, that were cultivated and proliferated in large part by white men, right? So that's, then you have, so first you have humans and then you have white men on this, on this artificial hierarchy. And then from there you have, you know, black men, black women, Asian and so forth, and it's sprinkled out and everybody can just sort of hungry, hungry hippos for resources. But what I'm saying is like, is that true? First question, is it true that human beings are separate from nature? We get to write our own laws. We get to do whatever we want. We can raise and slaughter cattle because their lives don't matter, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> because the, the, we, can, we can raise and slaughter cattle because their lives don't matter. We can kill and police black people because their lives don't matter. We can treat 
we can live in a, in a rape culture and sexually assault women because their lives don't matter, right? Because what ultimately matters is I got the guns and I got the money, right? And so that's also how our male psyche works is to say, you know what, if I'm going to succeed in this world as a parent, as a father, as a man, I need to be able to prevent a bigger asshole, a bigger monster from coming into my domain. So I need to become a monster in order to stop the monster mm. to come into my door. Hmm. So uh, th the question that comes up for me then is how do you compete with centuries of tradition around supremacy and domination? How do we, how do we even begin to do that? Cause I, I was starting to think of it this way because uh, a lot of the conversation in the past couple of weeks has been about white privilege. And I think about legacy and I think about tradition and even just looking at my own family, you know, I'm, I'm second and third generation American citizen here. So I, I, my, none of my relatives were here during slave trade. Not, you know, none of them, at least as far as I know, didn't own slaves, didn't participate in that. And yet there's still a learned part of racism or ideas we create about different cultures. But I'm thinking about the folks who have been here since the pilgrims, right? Like the folks who've been on this soil who have believed that black people are animals, are, are less beings on this planet than, than white people are. And they've learned that and they've passed that on for generations and generations, literally centuries. How do, you, how do we begin to reverse that conversation? So the first thing is, it's, it's a language piece, white, white supremacy, white privilege. These are words that are actually difficult to latch onto for a lot of people. It's easier for a black person to see white privilege because you're like, well, I don't see black. I don't, I've never seen a white person, an unarmed white person killed by police on social media. I have never seen that. So for those people who think that white privilege doesn't exist, I can name five people off the top of my head that are black that were killed by police and had social media campaigns around their name. I can't name one. I can only name a couple instances or a few instances or probably that same number of instances of, of white guys who were doing mass shooter events, which is symbolic of where, you know, the narratives are shaped and also where power lies, right? So what, what the narrative is in the news is black people get killed by cops, mm. white, black guys get killed by cops and white, guy, and, and white guys, they are the creepy guy who, if you don't have sex with them, they might, if you make fun of them, they might bomb your school or shoot up your school, right? Like, so the, the first piece is looking at media narratives, but then the second piece is looking at ourselves and saying, okay, where am I in this conversation? Do I identify with the story of white supremacy. No, not necessarily. There's a lot of people who are, who are, who don't think, you know, I'm a white guy. I don't, I don't think white people are supreme. So that's, that's kind of like why that word is hard for people to latch onto. But if we look at what is the norm in society, what people think of when, when you, if you ask them to draw a picture of an American or to draw a picture of an American president, what figure pops into someone's head? Right. And so then instead of talking about it as white supremacy, I'm just helping people to, to break this down. Instead of thinking about it just as white supremacy, that word supreme, that you're holding this idea of supreme. Instead, just think of this idea as what is the norm in America? What is a normal? What is normal? What is the color flesh? Right. What is the color skin on a Band-Aid? Right. That is not the color of my skin. There's a bunch of different colors of skin. So why is a skin color Band-Aid the color of a light per of, of pale skin? Yeah person. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. So these are examples of what normatives are. And if you reference the normative, right, medicine is based on the white male body. You know what I mean? Car driver seats are based on the white male body. I already talked yeah. about bandages, right? 
And if you look at that and everybody else, every other group has to have like a pink razor blade or like the black commercial huh. for McDonald's, right? They're, they're now a, a special interest group as opposed to what's normal, what's regular, what's not a special interest group huh. are white interests. Now, this other thing, I'm going to ask you, where were your, where's your family from before America? Yeah, my father's family's from Japan and my mother's family's from Italy in the Mediterranean. Okay, so you have it- Italian and you have Japanese, right? But mm-hmm. if somebody asks you to what to put on a census, what do you check? Asian American is what I usually check. Okay, so this is exactly what I'm saying. Hmm. Japanese is not a box you can check. It's grouped mm-hmm. you as Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, mm-hmm. right? Indian, that's all Asia. So all that gets grouped into Asian mm. in this yeah, continent. I see that. A bunch of different, completely different cultures with different languages and different foods all get grouped as Asian, as an Asian race mm. in America, right? If on the Italian, on the Italian side, you got Irish, you got English, you got German, right? All of Europe, you got Spanish. And then what box do you check? White. Yeah. You check exactly. white. So that's the lie of white supremacy. And that's the lie of America is that. You take all of these groups of people from all these different countries and you smash them into this homogenous hot dog and you say that's white and that's Asian and that's mm. black. So what, so what is the consequence of that? Not, what, what, do you, what are you saying our, is the consequence of it? The consequence of that is a shrinking mm. of our identity and we lose connection to our history and we're, we're squeezed into this like American yeah. hot dog, right? So what do we have to give up? We have to forsake our nation in order to become American, because if we don't, people are going to say, oh, you're, well, you're anti-American. If you're, if you're American, are you about us? Or are you like one of those commie people or yeah, no, whatever? No, you, know, no, you, know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I hear a, you, man. We're not given the space to express all of who we are, our cultural heritage and our history. We're told that once you, once you become an American, that's right. what you are, right? Which is a kind of, that's what xenophobia mm. is. Well, and I think it's also by design too. I mean, every time you see colonialism and a, a one group of people bringing another group of people to a place to develop it, there's always commonalities. There's erasing of their their faith and their spirituality, right? So whether it was colonials who came here and erased faith and traditions from the Native American peoples, or they wiped culture and tradition out of the black folks that were coming over here from Africa, whatever it was, there's, uh, there's cutting off ties to our ancestry. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest travesties that, that all of us are suffering from. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know about, I know as far back as my great grandparents, I, I know their names. I know a little bit about their story and that's about it. I know more about my, both my grandparents on both sides, but the fact that that's all I know about where I come from and who I am, it, it leaves me with a, with a gap in my identity of where I come from and what I'm about, a complete detachment from my right. traditions and my culture. And feeding into what you said is that cluster. It's like, well, okay, I'm an Asian American. So what does an Asian American do? Well, I, I got slightly more slanty eyes and different features than most people, but I still like cheeseburgers. And that's, that's the culture that I've, that's been bestowed yeah. upon me now. So I, th- I think that's, that, right. that's what I'm hearing in what you're saying. And I think that that's p- an opportunity for us is to connect back, to recreate those lines of ancestry and culture and tradition that remind us of who we are. Connect to those culture, tradition that remind us of who we are and not do so in a way that is novelty or exoticized mm. or tokenized. Like we've all had Asian food at the mall. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
We've all had Greek food at the mall. We've all had Italian food at the mall. And that's what America does, right? And then we say, what's the best country in the world? You know, from a little kid, we tell them the best country in the world right. is America. America's number one. We're the best country in the world. It's the greatest country on earth, right? Again, these are just subtle ways. These are all the subtle ways that we're told America is number one. And if you add America is number one with what is an what does an American president look like or what does the average American look like? Right. That person's white. And so American, our country, the country we all live in, Asian American, Black American, is a white mm. country. Most of the presidents have mm. been white. Yeah, all of them except one. You know, the population, but all except one, the population is still majority white, but the wealth is disproportionately held in the hands of, the, of white people. Right, so this is not... This has nothing to do with why an individual mm. is racist, right? All of this means is that we're in a racist mm. system. And so if we're in a racist system and you're neutral, the water is pushing you downstream and you don't paddle, what direction are you going to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If the water is pushing you downstream and you don't paddle, That's you're going to go downstream. If the water is pushing you downstream and you paddle as hard as you can upstream, then you might make incremental progress going upstream but you're fighting a current. And all I'm saying is that the current of America has been pushing media propaganda, has been pushing cultural propaganda, has pushing the America is number one, right? Agenda narrative. And that's the current of our news. That's the current of our economy. That's the current of our policing. So we're just sitting in a racist country, not in an evil, vile way, right? But just, you know, it's yeah. our country. Yeah. Otherwise you wouldn't see, otherwise you wouldn't see guys saying it's our country. They're stealing our jobs. They're stealing our country because they believe that. And they believe that because they've been right. told that. The other side of the American narrative is it's everybody's country, land of the free. All immigrants should come and have a place. But what that means is what the average American looks like mm -hmm. isn't a single face. It's that, it's like that banner that used to be on our ceiling when we were in, uh, grade school with all the different countries mm -hmm. holding hands, right? That's what America is really mm -hmm. supposed to be. That's what they put on the brochure anyway. That, that's how they get people to come here is they tell them that it's the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? The land of opportunity. And they know, I think so many people have come here and realized that it's, it's not that. And I, you know, I think the greatest pain, if we're just going to speak right into it for folks, uh, you know, I'm, I'm don't want to generalize, but for folks who are not part of the black community, for folks who are not intimately connected and feeling the, effects of a racist culture in our society the greatest pain has been feeling like i like i've been hoodwinked like for me personally i'll speak about myself personally is feeling like i fell asleep i mean i minored in social justice back in college all of my friends were you know mm. african-american caribbean you know asian you know from all over the world and that was like 10 years ago and i was like damn what happened when where where did i start to fall asleep that i missed this that i got you know, where, the, where I got the sheet pulled over my head and I, and, I, and I missed it the whole time. And I think that for me, that just led me down a path of shame and guilt, which was further away from actually, okay, what, what's actually happening here and where can I, where can I contribute to the, the solution that I believe in? And so I think it's great. Go, go ahead. I, th I just want to say, I think it's great that the, the problem is being spoken about, but I'm really interested in like, where do we go? Yeah, the problem is being spoken about. And I think that's, that's where it intersects with men's work right? Is that if you're black, if you're a black man listening to this, 
think about the places in your life. You know the places in your life, but think about the places in your life where you have to compromise your identity in order to be successful, where you have to talk a little different, dress a little different, right? And then you, t- and then you get back home or think about the places where your natural expression of your identity as a black man who surfs or as a black man who bird watches is being told that ain't black as a black man who skateboards, both by black people and non-black people, right? And then if, if you're not black, if you're Asian, if you're white, if you're Latino, doesn't matter. Think about the places where the world expects you to play a role and where you play that role because you don't know anything else but that role. And that is where you'll find the site of your own oppression. That is where you'll find the site of your own compromise of identity, where you become a strong black man or a you know smart man or a provider, right? Instead of whatever it is that you are. So it sounds like what you're saying is an opportunity for all of us to really take ownership of who we are and how we choose to be in this in this world. You know, even even before this conversation of of racism escalated here, it was it's always been about that, hasn't it? Hasn't it always been about us finding who we are at, at a core level and living into that? I, at least I think that that's the essence of the journey of of becoming an adult not even a man, just, just an adult is, is fulfilling on who we were meant to be and who we always felt we were inside, but learned not to be for any number of reasons. Yeah. You know, we, we are born knowing how to swim, right? Throw a baby in the water, flips over and it floats. But we are taught how to drown because of fear season up in the body. We've seen images of people drowning. Our parents freak out when we go towards a pool. So subconsciously we learn that it's dangerous to be near open bodies of water, right? But when we're, before, right. we're young, before we're old enough to know that that is a site of danger, we have a natural wisdom in our body that shows us exactly what to do. So this is the same thing that makes us a racist. This is the same thing that makes us a misogynist. It's not you have these overt feelings that women are lesser than or that white people are better than. It's not these overt thoughts. It's the subconscious programming that's been wrapped in our head that holds fears about maintaining power and about scarcity mindset that just so happened to be organized in our society in 2020 along racial and gender lines. Hmm. So the work that we get to do is to, and if we're going to try to self-actualize, push against our programming everywhere we see it and stand up for what we think is right, no matter who stands to benefit seemingly in that moment, because we always stand to benefit by sitting in our integrity and saying, not on my fucking watch. (laughs) cops don't get to kill innocent people period black white green purple yellow brown so whenever that happens i'm gonna march and anytime i don't step up for that and instead go to the football game right then i'm not living my values as a human being Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's that's being that's being your word that's backing up all the talk with the walk with the action behind it and that that's another point of a pain point for me that's that's happened over the past couple of weeks is having had my head just so so in the weeds of what was going on in my life that I, I tuned out a lot of what was going on for that first week until I was until it was inescapable. You know, you, you had to yeah. be deliberately pushing it aside not to pay attention to it after that first week and and so I was like, oh wow, okay, why have I been avoiding stepping into this? Why why have, where have I been failing to back up? who I say I am in the world and do what I, what I tell everybody to do. <laughs> what, what I, what I encourage other men to do is to decide who you are and then be that man everywhere that you go. 
again, you know, we could either realize that that's happening and feel like, ah, oh, damn, I screwed up again. I failed on it or double down, take ownership of it and, le- and lean farther into it. You know, that's, and I think that's probably, I, I'm just speaking my, off of my own personal experience with this right now. Cause I, to be honest with you, man, it was, it was really hard for me last week to have some confronting conversations internally and with the men around me who know who I am and have known me for a long time. And we're saying like, dude, like, where are you at? Where are you at with all this? Where, where are you at? Where do you stand with your position? And I'm glad that that happened because it's uncomfortable as it was, it was, it was empowering. It was empowering for me to, to realize, yeah, there, there is more that I can do. There's more that I want to do. Not more that I can do, more that I want to do. Also figuring out what is my, actually my role in how can I best support? Because, you know, I don't think that my, my role is to be on the front lines of a protest right now. You know, I'm, I'm over here. I'm taking care of my, my family and two little kids. And I still have a great influence and opportunity to make an impact. And I think that's the conversation yeah. that all of us get to be in. Yeah, absolutely. I think. One thing that I noticed is that, at least on my Instagram, there's not guys, there's not that many guys talking about this issue. That posting, there, you maybe post a black square or whatever, but maybe it's just because of how my Instagram is set up. Maybe there's just more women that follow me. I mean, there's black men that follow me and black women that follow me, but in terms of non-black people that are reaching out and saying, hey, this post or that post affected me, or I'm looking on Instagram on different accounts to see like who's stepping up and being vocal. It's so ironic that we've tied the ability to do something right now with shame that we have from yesterday. My challenge and my, the opportunity I want to highlight and the call in that I want to say is don't let the shame around who you were yesterday, keep you from being who you can be today. Mm. I don't care if you don't know shit about racial justice, pick up a book, go on YouTube, watch the John Oliver show around defund the police. And and then think about that. Think about whether you think that's true and think about how much you actually know about American politics, right? Ask yourself why there has never been a black president ever. And why do you think that is? Mm -hmm. Why do you think there's never, I mean, never until Barack Obama, right? Why do you think there has never been, even until now, a woman president, right? Yeah, you know, they're just not qualified or electability, right? You're going to nitpick each and every female candidate and point out why she lost. Then you should nitpick every male candidate and figure out why the fuck he beat her. Because right now we have a guy who is unqualified, who nobody thought would win, who has no experience in politics and doesn't even present himself as particularly bright, right? So I'm not even saying that like I'm not even being that per- much vocal about my po- political views in, in this moment as I could be. But what I'm saying is that like for every little excuse you have my, about why there's never been a female president or why there's only been one minority president, there's a perf- there's an flip example, four, five, six white male American presidents. Yeah. Yeah, man, exactly. So it's, it's, you can't say it's about qualifications and you can't say it's about study. You, what you can say is that it's about probably something deeper than that. Subconscious sure. bias, implicit bias, and the fact that we don't notice that, the fact that we don't think that that's a problem that frustrates us, that if you have a daughter, it's unreasonable for her to think that she could become president even until this day, because there's never mm-hmm. been one. Yeah. Yeah. But right? if that man, doesn't it's... anger you, then now you know what your, what, right, what your privilege looks like. It's the fact that you get to not be angry about injustice in your world. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, I go back to that river analogy that you shared of just kind of drifting down the river like you know those lazy rivers where i think it's something that a lot of folks do like in the midwest or something they just jump in the river they got the cooler of, of beer and they're just like cruising down the river just going down with the stream i feel like that's that's what i'm what i imagine when you're talking about the this is just sitting by and watching it happen and i think so let me ask you this question what, what would you most like to see happen next what would you most like to see happen from this point forward? In order for all of the things we talked about that could happen, what would you like to see happen on a, on a mass scale? Just, just speaking of Americans and, and American culture. You know what? I would like to see every single person look at the Constitution, the first 10 Bill of Rights, and see if everybody in America has access to those first 10 Bill of Rights. And if they don't see that, if they can't point to exactly where every person in America has access to those 10 Bill of Rights, then they need to get angry and find a place to be active. Not even just like angry for the sake of being angry. I don't think anger is an important, is a necessary emotion to carry at all times, but to just locate in your, in your body, right? In a somatic way, experience in your body, what the sensation of injustice feels like. So that when it comes up, you don't, you don't, brush it off as stress. You don't just brush it off as, man, that shit was crazy. You see that video? That shit's crazy. It's not crazy. It's criminal. Hmm. Right. And then reflect on that and say, who do I want to be in this moment? And what do I want the world to look like? Right. Because we're working on our million dollar projects. We're working up and trying to show up for our women, the women in our lives. We're trying to, for our partners, we're working on trying to show up for our kids. But really though, if you're a little kid, looks at you in 15, 20 years and says, daddy, what were you doing during all that? Those, the, the riots of 2020. And all you can say is, you know, well, at the time, you know, our family was going, so we didn't do any really, you know, I mean, it's complicated. Then it's like, all right, that's the answer. That's the answer you get to say to your kids. That's the mm-hmm. answer that your, your, your family gets to, that's the blood that's the, that's the blood you're handing down to your kids. That's the ancestry you're creating by, by, by not participating in, in these movements and not building a country, right? Because when it's their turn, they'll look back and they'll say, well, what does my history say I should do in this moment? And my history has said, you know, brush it off as somebody else's problem and then just go back to work. Hmm. Damn, man. That, that right there was powerful because I think that's what so many of us naturally do is when push comes to shove and and the moment to stand up or sit down arises we think about well, what did i what did i see what did i see my parents do what did i watch my my grandparents do what does my history tell me that i'm supposed to do right now and how many of us come from families of people who immigrated to this land at some point in time who were taught obedience so that they they could survive taught not to raise your voice taught to keep it down don't 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 get noticed because that's dangerous you know when you stand out in a crowd here you're you're at risk i mean damn like it, it, shit goes deep because i think about that myself man even just my 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 grandfather's side of the family you know he came here when he was two years old and he was put in an internment camp as a teenager during world war ii and that whole side of my family is very much about take care of your family, take care of your own and don't 
don't make waves. <laughs> don't, don't make waves. Don't, don't shake anything up because the last thing you want to do is to be the loud mouth attracting attention to yourself. And I've had to, I kind of, I think of myself, I don't know my family thinks of me this way, but I'm definitely like more of a black sheep in my family. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't fall into line like most of them do, but even so I, there's still that history that I can revert back to when, when push comes to shove. So it is, it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's big work. I think it's big work for all of us to recognize that we do have that power and that ability to step up, but not just to see it, but to actually fulfill on it to actually do it to reckon and, and thinking about what you said telling the story to my son and to my daughter when they're when they're starting to learn about this and they understand a little bit more that's probably the most empowering thing for me because i don't want to tell them that i just read the news watched it happen yeah that's what that's what your mom and i were doing we were so busy trying to put food on the table that we just sat around right that's right. it right you there know, man i mean also like what's the name of the platform the podcast the rising man. Simple as that, dude. Rise. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. It's, it's our mantras, our slogans. The whole issue that we have is that it says in the Constitution, all men are created equal. That we're supposed to have an equal opportunity to pursue happiness, right? Mm-hmm. So how can you do that when we're disproportionately patrolled? when we're disproportionately arrested, when we're disproportionately convicted, and we're disproportionately sentenced to the death penalty from communities that are disproportionately uh, disenfranchised, from communities that are disproportionately have resources pulled for them, from communities that don't have drinking water, from communities that don't have functioning school systems. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So where's our equal opportunity for freedom? And then where is the... You know, it's like if you go up against a guy in a fist fight and he's 40 pounds lighter than you and he's malnourished, you punch him out one time and then stand on his chest saying that you're the king, the strongest man in the world. Yo, you're delusional, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to look at the, the field and see like, wow, the guy that I'm dealing with right now, he's been through, you know, he, he, his dad didn't raise him, his Mom was on drugs and he got locked up. And then while he was locked up, he finished his college degree and came out and become a lawyer. Whoa. Then now this isn't this isn't me, this isn't a black story. That that's just me as a human being. I could never I could I could never imagine what it takes to go through life and have that experience. So if I meet that guy, immediate respect. It's why people respect me as a veteran. They're like, yo, dude, you went to a fucking war? And I'm like, yeah. Like, so what was it like? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's crazy. Bullets flying at you, bombs going over your head, right? So no wonder I don't fucking like 4th of July, right? Mm -hmm. So the question becomes is like, what is the hardest thing you've ever been through, right? And if that hardest thing you've ever been through is like something that happened in your domestic environment, then you overcoming that hurdle might be your opportunity to like rebirth and grow in yourself and, and stand up for yourself. But if for many, many people, the hardest thing that they have to go through is a daily sort of oppressive punishment that says, hey, your experience is here. We don't care that you came from poverty. We don't care that the cops are going to beat you and no one. Like, because the thing is, if there weren't videos for this thing, people, people won't care. You right, know? Right. So yeah. that's just part of the story around why people say we're in a racist country and what it looks like to, to 
decolonize yourself is to confront those aspects of the world that are inconsistent with the things that we say we're supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And so ask that hard questions. How did you miss it? How did you miss it for 50 years? How did you grow up with the social justice minor and everywhere around you, at least since 2014, Christ, how did you miss it? Not, not saying specifically you, but to the listeners even. How did you, right, right. How did you, how'd you miss the first wave, quote unquote, of Black Lives Matter? What were you doing in the, mm-hmm. in the first wave of Me Too? What, what, what were you doing? You were like, oh, I'm not Bill Cosby. I would never, right. But you still think it's okay for women to make less than men. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the thing that's being illuminated, man. But allow it to happen on your that's the difference. That's what it is right there, man. That's, and I think that's, and I'm glad that that's happening, that that's being called out right now is that sitting around is, is just as much of a part of the problem as being a perpetrator of it really. And that, that's, that's the internal voice that I know so many people are having is, well, I'm not the one doing it. So it's not me. It's not my responsibility. I'm not a bad person. Cause I'm not, I'm not going out and beating up black folks. I'm not going out and saying those things, but yeah, man. It, I think you really highlighted it. And from a standpoint of a black friend, of, from a black guy, if I was, if we were uh-huh. walking, and I got in a fight, even though it was my my bad for talking too much shit, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy's bigger than me, and just beats, keeps beating my ass with a stick. You think we're gonna be friends after that if you don't jump in at least to stop him? Right. right. Um, Hell no. On some brotherhood shit, throw a fucking swing, man. Get him off me. I was clearly losing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what was my business? You were talking shit. Okay, buddy. Got it. Cool. So we can't kick it no more because I know that when the chips are down, you're not, you're not, you're not that dude. I got to have, mm. I got to have real G's on my squad. I don't need, they don't even, you don't have to be a warrior. I'm not asking you to be a warrior. I'm just saying when the chips are down and I'm on my back and the guy's still punching me, stop him. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get involved. Take a that. blow so that I don't take five more. Yeah. I feel that, man. I love that. I love that call to action, man. It's simple. And I really appreciate you coming in here today and, and sharing what you had to offer. It's the way that you, you conveyed it, man, is, is very simple. It's very, it's very simple. And I think everybody who's listening will, will really feel the resonance of that. I guess the last thing I want to ask you before I cut you loose, man, is, is there anything else that, that's been, that you haven't said? Anything else that you want to just top it off with? Um, you know, I just think that it, it's, a, it's a moment of self-reflection. And it's an opportunity for us to all get free. It isn't actually about what you're doing for black people or for women or for a minority, whatever, for trans lives, for gay people. It's not about what you're doing for them. It's about how showing up for them, what that does for yourself and your own freedom and your own liberation. Because now you don't have to align your value to your paycheck and and what you're able to accrue and bring home and the boats you can buy. What instead you have is a solid, stable backbone and foundation. Well, you, well, you may also have those things too, if you live this way. Hmm. And that's the opportunity. So like, as much as it says Black Lives Matter, right? The slogan is us standing up and saying, our lives matter. I am a black person, right? Hmm. When you say that, you're affirming that right? In the same way that you would, your life matters. And you're saying, hey, I stand up for my beliefs. <laughs> and if you can't do that today, that's fine. That's where you are in your growth and your journey. <laughs> but it's something to look at. Yeah. 
Agreed, man. Well, Maceo, man, it's it's been an honor to have you back here. I really appreciate everything you dropped here today. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can go follow you to to check out all the all the amazing work you're doing. I mean, obviously, we only we only talked about one dimension of the the message that you carry, but tell us a little more you about. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Maceo Paisley. But really, like I said, the dimension that I'm working that I work in. You know, last time we were talking about the book. Yeah, I mean, how I actually make a living is as an artist and cultural consultant. So if you are running in a museum or a nonprofit or your brand and you want to work on something creative, holler at me. I'm going to bring this level of thinking to any project I work on and also aesthetic sensibility as well. Or if you run a company or work with a company that has staff that wants to unpack these issues, you know, I'm going to charge you as much as you can afford and I'm going to bring the highest quality of rigor and, <laughs> and education to your organization. So, you know, hit me up on Twitter, on Instagram, slide me a DM. I always check that stuff and, and we'll get to work. Beautiful, bro. Well, again, thank you for everything that you brought here. Thank you for the work that you're doing on every level. And man, I look forward to having you back here another time. So, uh, I learned a lot from being on here with you and uh, I appreciate you sharing that with the, with the crew today. Right on, man. I hope you really heard the wisdom in this episode. It was a an honor to host Maceo and have him back here on the show and really to just soak up and listen to his his perspective and the way he sees things right now. Just a, a man who really wants to see change, a man who really wants to fight for what he believes in in the world. And you know, regardless of who you are, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of what you believe, Maceo, in my opinion, is just talking straight truth for all of us to embrace, for all of us to become the men, the leaders, the fathers, the shepherds of society that we want to be. Calling everybody forward, myself included, to heed that call that Maceo gave out, that call to be who we say we are, not just to talk about it, to actually be that. Because now's the time. Now's the time when we need to step up and be those men. So... If you're like me and you don't like doing things by yourself, or maybe you like doing things by yourself, but you're not getting anywhere fast doing it, then head over to risingman.org and find a way to get more involved with what we're doing, whether it's our virtual men's circles, the fire circles, Inferno, or our next rites of passage expedition called Compass heading out in the fall, then go check it out. Get yourself involved. If you are looking to follow us on our YouTube channel, you can go check us out at youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Check us out on Instagram at rising man movement and wherever you're listening to us, please follow and subscribe. So you get these episodes each and every week. Shout outs to my rising man power team, especially, especially Sean Offenbach and Julian Subic right now. As I'm recording this episode, it's due to publish in less than 24 hours. So my man, Sean, my man, Julian, they put in the work so that this episode could come out right now because I knew that this is the episode that everybody needed to hear. So when you open this Thursday morning, remember that these guys were working Wednesday night to make sure it came out. So big shout outs to Sean, Julian, and the rest of the guys who are also working hard, Rowan, Ryan, and Mark. You know, I love you guys and everybody else out there. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.